This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. As we stand, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us today, and I pray that you would again speak to us, speak to our hearts and minds this morning by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Unless you are a complete narcissist, I suspect that, like me, you may sometimes have wondered whether God really loves you. Perhaps in your darkest moments, you've thought, well, how could anyone really love me if they knew all about me? If they knew every thought that went through my head, if they knew me at my very worst. And of course, God does know us like that. Indeed, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And so we think maybe God tolerates us or he puts up with me, but truly love me? Isn't that stretching it a bit? In each of our scripture readings this morning, the Apostle John has some extraordinary things to say about love. God's love for us, our love for God, and Jesus' command that we love one another. The most remarkable thing that John tells us about God's love is that it is not a quality which God possesses like you or I might. Rather, John tells us love is the very essence of God's being. I often say to people, uh, love is not a noun, but a verb. And And that love is much more of a doing word than a feeling word. But actually, the Bible tells us that love is in some ways radically different from that, radically more than that. Love is a person. God is love. So does God love you? Yes, that is who God is and what God's like. In in verse 9 of John's epistle, we heard earlier, God's love was revealed to us in this way. God sent his only son into the world, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice. One of the shocking and wonderful things about God is that he loves us not because we are lovely, lovable people. Often we are not. God demonstrates his love to those who do not love him, who do not even want to love him, and even to his enemies. Love comes from God. John tells us in verse 7 of his letter that the very capacity to love is part of what it means to have been made in the image of God. And the love that we show one for another as Christians is evidence of the new birth that God gives us by his Holy Spirit. Indeed, if we want to know what God's love is like, then we look to Jesus And we see that love in action. St. John tells us, verse 11, since God loved us so much, we ought to love one another. And in the next verse, John says, no one has ever seen God. Now, of course, people did see God in Christ. But what about today? How can people see God today? 
How can they know that God is love? And the answer is in you, in me, in us. Theologian and Bishop Tom Wright puts it this way, love incarnate must be the badge that the Christian community wears, the sign not only of who they are, but of who their God is. The most powerful demonstration that the Christian faith is real doesn't come through beautiful church buildings like ours, doesn't come through theological arguments, books, or sermons. It comes through love. It comes through God's love being seen in action in the church and in our lives. Jesus said, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Love is the hallmark. It's the family characteristic. The best argument or ad for, Christ, uh, for Christianity is Christians, especially their love. We don't know what God is like until we look to Jesus by extension today, people don't know what God is like until they look at us. Now, I don't know whether that thrills you or terrifies you. I have to say, for me, it's a bit of a both and. Thrilling because we're made in the image of God. And as such, we are made to reflect God in our lives. Yet terrifying because we do this so imperfectly. We desperately need the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives who gives us his love. The sad fact is that while Christians are the strongest argument for Christianity, we can also be the strongest argument against Christianity. How easily any of us can become loveless, joyless, self-righteous and judgmental. St. John tells us, those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. I wonder, do you have people whom you hate? And before you dismiss that, after all, hate is such a strong word, and Yins are all such good Christian folks and that. Let me put this another way. Who is it in the church that you kind of avoid? Who you can't stand? Who you tend, at least in your thoughts, if not your actions, to be pretty patronizing towards? Such actions or attitudes are the very antithesis of love. If there are people whom you refuse to love, don't pretend that you love God. John makes this abundantly clear. Verse 23, the commandment we have from Jesus is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Tom Wright expounds it this way. The same door that opens to let out your love to God is the door that opens to let out love to your neighbor. If you're not doing the latter, you're not doing the former. It's as simple and as devastating as that. 
Now, if that leaves you feeling somewhat defeated, I want you to hear again what St. John says. He doesn't talk about living in fear over this because we make such a mess so often of loving others as Christ has loved us. Rather, he says to us that we may have boldness on the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Okay, so how can this be? The boldness and the confidence we have is not based on how good a job we do of loving others, but on something else. Listen to Tom Wright again. If God revealed himself in the world by turning his love into flesh and blood, when we do the same, we should realize that we are completing God's love. What will be operating through us will be the true love of the true God. And it's because of his love that we can have boldness before the throne of grace. So what does this look like? How do we practically embody God's love? And there are so many ways that we could answer that question, but I think it happens every time that we accept someone who may be very different from us, or, whom, or when we spend time with a person with whom we profoundly disagree. And by the way, if you're not sure where to find such people, just take a look around. They're here, right here, right now. In his book, Love Beyond Reason, Pastor John Ortberg writes about the work of love as being the work of paying attention. Love is in the details. Love notices. Love listens. Love remembers. He writes this, if you want to do the work of God, pay attention to people. Notice them. Especially notice the people nobody else notices. When you pay attention to someone, when you focus totally on them, you say, you are the most important thing in my world right now. And Jesus, as love incarnate, did this all the time. I think of his conversation with the, the woman at the well, or the, the guy, that, that rich young ruler, or the way he responded to the woman who'd been dragged before him after being caught in adultery. While he didn't affirm her behavior, he accepted her in her humanity, treating her with dignity and respect. Love is something we do, and something that as we become more like Christ, we become. It's relatively easy to love the people who love you in return. It's not so easy to love the person who doesn't love you. It's very hard to love someone who wrongs you, takes advantage of you, or treats you unfairly. But love them is what we're commanded to do. How can we love like that? Well, I want to suggest a three-stage process that I find helpful. First, we need to have the right attitude. How quickly we, need, we tend to second-guess another person's motive for doing or saying something. How easy it is to be judgmental and self-righteous. When I start to be like that, as I confess I do, I try to remember Christ's love for me. And I try to cultivate a, a charitable attitude towards 
the person I otherwise so easily judge. If Christ loves me, the real me, whom he knows better than I know myself, enough to die for me, then I have no business withholding my love from another, from someone whom Christ died for. Now, having said that, simply knowing and reminding myself of this doesn't necessarily change my attitude. Oh, that it were so easy. Often I need specially, specifically, to ask God to give me his love, that which I frankly don't have in myself. So first, a right attitude. Second, we need to start acting in a loving way, whether you feel like it or not, but we start acting in a loving way. It is only after I have, or at least have sought to have the right attitude and then begin to practice love in action that thirdly, the feelings may follow. I think too often we approach this from completely the wrong direction. Not loving in action until first we have feelings of love for someone. But that's not how it should be. Indeed, let's be real about this. There are some people for whom we may never feel a whole boatload of love. And yet our calling remains to be loving toward them. Christ calls us to love as he loved. And to follow Jesus is to follow the footsteps of the one who knew more suffering, more rejection, more hurt than any of us will ever know. Jesus told his disciples that the reason they must abide in his love and keep his commandments is so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I think there's perhaps no greater joy and contentment than that which comes from knowing deep down that we are loved. You know, I can put up with all kinds of stuff, all kinds of annoying and bothering things if I am secure in being loved. What a wonderful thing it is when we experience that with friends or in our homes, our marriages and families. And yet, as we all know, many people, include, including some people here this morning, don't experience that kind of love and security in their relationships or in their homes. Perhaps they doubt the love of a spouse. They're not sure of the love of a parent. They're, they experience betrayal from a friend. They are lonely. And for some people, the evidence around them would seem to be that they're not loved, that they're not secure. And yet, there is a place where such a person can know and can experience real love. And that place, bizarre though this might sound, is right here in this building or outside in that tent here amongst God's imperfect people. Love is expressed and experienced every time we reach out to somebody else, every time we make a meal for someone, we send a note of encouragement to someone, we talk to someone that we don't know. Love happens when we take the risk to be vulnerable 
And yes, that can be scary. But here again, St. John's words to us, perfect love casts out fear. There's nothing wrong with admitting our faults, our failings, our weaknesses. Indeed, it's when we're prepared to be honest and authentic that we are the most open both to giving and receiving love. Jesus chooses us who are his followers to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And it's this fruit of love and joy and peace that God longs to see in us. And this morning, there's a very real and pressing challenge, and it's simply this. Are you known by your love? We can be known for all sorts of things, but are you known by your love? Do people see the fruit of God's Spirit in your life? It is as we abide in God's love, as we obey Jesus' command to love one another, that we come to realize and understand that Jesus counts us among his friends. And if that doesn't boggle your mind, I don't know what will. I find this analogy of Jesus as my friend so very powerful, so inspiring, and so humbling. A good friend is someone you can trust, someone you can phone up at some strange hour and ask for help. A friend is someone who knows you. A friend is someone who cares about you. A friend is someone who will be honest with you, even tell you things you don't want to hear. I thank God for some friends I have like that. A friend is someone who will help you to do the right thing, who will support you and stand with you, encourage and challenge you. A friend is also someone with whom you can frankly relax. All this is but a shadow of the kind of friend we have in Jesus, the one who chooses you to be his friend. Well, I want to, to draw things to a close with a final word about abiding in God's love as found in our gospel reading. It, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. As someone else translated this, just as much as the Father has loved me, there, that's how much I've loved you. Make your home in this special love of mine and relax. I love that. Jesus invites us to make our home with him. Jesus dwells with us and in us, and we dwell in him. This is why we can relax and trust that our wanting to keep Jesus' command to love one another puts us on the right track in obeying this command. We're not going to get this perfectly right. We're simply not. But we can live into this way that Jesus calls us to. I think of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the righteous. He says, blessed are those who what? What? Actually, I can't hear you, but that's okay. People are responding. It's hard behind the mask. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's a sense in which our longings and our hunger and thirst are what God's looking for. And it's the same goes with this kind of radical love that we're talking about. These are the raw materials that God can take and use and fill up with his very self. 
The key, surely, in all this talk about love is for us to know and receive and embrace at the very deepest core of our being our true identity in Christ. We are beloved. Breathe this in. Relax. You are loved profoundly. And this identity is not found in identity politics or identity culture, but in this powerful truth that we are beloved people made in the image of God. And we're called to live our lives as Jesus did, as love incarnate. And so I wonder, who is it that God is calling you to love this week? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Help us to abide in you. Fill us with your spirit that we may show your love to all those with whom we interact, that they may truly see you in us. And we ask this all for your love's sake. Amen.